Hi, this is John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today we're doing our Halloween special. Our panel today, we have that guy with the William Shatner spray-painted mask, Mike. It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> we also have that guy that got the Michael Myers mask, Frost and Powers, because he didn't know what kind of party he was going to, Craig. Yeah, baby! <laughs> we have that kid in the back of the room with the sucker... Wearing the potato sack mask on his face with Ross. Sweet. I don't think he actually says anything ever, though, so. He just kills. That's all. <laughs> he makes That's noises with he his does. mouth. He just kills. <laughs> Which is awesome. And the guy looking in the back in the woods with the hockey mask with Steve. See, I got the same problem. It's like you and me are not supposed to talk, yeah, but yet, yeah, it's not. Same, but I get a cool theme song, which is awesome. That's true. The best part. <laughs> right, welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Uh, today we're doing, doing more of a Halloween-themed episode. Uh, we're looking to nail down five top five Halloween comic movies. And then the top five Halloween movies that happened during Halloween. So two different sets of movies. Scary movies and then movies that actually happened during Halloween. That's the attempt for this episode today. Can there be movies on both lists? There can be. I mean, I don't know why it couldn't cross-pollinate. Okay. So yeah, sure. Okay. I don't, I don't see why not. <laughs> um, I don't, we're not really going to do a news section this time around, because I mean, as far as news or whatever, we don't... Oh, does this mean need news? Is there Halloween news? Is that something that happens? It's Halloween! Oh, oh, yeah! Back to you in the studio. Let's cross this line. Now, More movies on everything. Exactly. All right. So, I, I guess the, f- uh, the news f- is on TCM. Dracula is the monster of the month. Oh, wow. man. That's awesome. Sexy. Almost done. Nice. <laughs> Which version? You know, the original version. The Lugosi style? I was going to say, if it's anything like last year, and they'll show all of them. Right. They'll but show they'll every hit, Dracula uh, there was ever. Yeah, they'll hit uh, Christopher Lee and all the other ones, so, yeah. It's good stuff. Christopher Lee, and there's a Halloween-flavored guy. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, rest in peace, sir. All right, now we get through our top five lists for uh, Halloween movies and whatnot. Uh, we had an interview with uh, John Cassier. Uh, it was done at the Colorado Springs Comic Con here, 2017. Uh, John, mo- probably most known for his like the intro of the show for his Crypt Keeper voice, uh, but the guy's done a bunch of movies as well and done other voice acting as well. So uh, yeah, we'll run that after we get through with our uh, cousin discuss about movies. Sound like a, a thing, Mike? Yeah. All right. As far as like starting, I mean, uh, mostly you need to bang out a list of movies, right? So Ross, what do you what do you got? That's a Halloween. Let's do the Halloween flavored. Halloween movies first, because that's harder. So the ones that take place the at ones that Halloween? take place during Halloween. Oh, man. You got a suggestion? So, 
Um, there's a whole bunch. I'm going to start with Creepshow. I think Creepshow would fall on both those lists. Yeah, okay. And, uh, Creepshow's kind of cool in that it's like a comic booky movie, too. It is, because he's got a kid reading a comic book. Um, that's, see, that would be another third list of comic book-flavored Halloween movies. I think that would be really but that's tough. that's a lot harder, because it's a lot slimmer option. I mean, Trick or Treat would fall in there, too. I thought yep. that would be the first one you would say. <laughs> well, I figured that would come later, no matter what, so. <laughs> that's the only one I could think of, though, and he first said that at the start, so. <laughs> okay, so Creepshow's a good one. Yeah, Creepshow, and it, yeah. It, the wraparound parts of it, where the kid's reading the horror comics and the dad takes it away, that all takes place at Halloween. You can see jack-o'-lanterns in the windows and stuff, so. Right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Craig, you got any ideas? Oh, well, I can only really think of all the Halloween movies. Okay, so when it comes to Halloween movies, unfortunately, this is, they all take place one time a year. Technically, they all count, but... As far as, like, a selection of movies, like, better choices, do you count number one because it's the original, or do you count number three because it's the more Halloween-y? I mean, it's got The Witch. It is the weirdest one, and probably the one people have seen the less of, but... The worst one. It, I don't know if I say worst. I mean, it is not the same flavor. I mean... I like uh, I like the, the season of The Witch because it uh, fulfills the, the original premise of this being like a trick-or-treat grab bag right. series where it was all supposed to be some different uh, different anthology. It is very weird, but it's set during Halloween, and it gets away from Mike, uh, from uh, Michael Myers. Right. I don't think I've ever seen the very first one. No? I don't think I've seen it oh, all. I think I've seen the first one. The original Jamie Lee Curtis I think uh, if... I went with uh, one of the regular Michael Myers ones. I'd probably go with the one with the little girl clown. Oh, okay. Um, I've seen that one. Is that number two or is that number four? That's number four, I think. Yeah, is this the the daughter? Not the daughter, but the... the, It was like a a cousin? Like his niece niece or something. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Curtis was only in like three three of the movies, right? Do you count H2O? Because she was in that one, too. That's what I'm counting. Okay. Yeah, so one, two. So one, one, two, two, and and H2O. H2O. And then she's going to be in that one. Yeah. Supposed to be. And she is still... Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep it. No, you're good, Mike. You're good. I think think the intention and point was there. It's all that yogurt, Mike. Uh It's true. Activia. (laughs) That's that's something she's selling. So for Halloween... I'd go with uh, Season of the Witch to fulfill the uh, Halloween, but if you want distilled uh, Michael Myers, probably with uh, four. Okay. That's that's just what I'm going to shoot. Four's flashback, Ian. It's got a little bit of the origin... Premise and it's got the sequel with the well, the lead to the niece, and you got uh, Blofeld being in there, wearing the scar, being his character. Mm, that's little, true. DP, oh, yeah, he's a badass. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're saying Halloween Four being the better choice of the group. For, for Michael Myers, for Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. Halloween Three for being more Halloween. Halloween okay, mean more Halloween flavor. Okay, so we're making an official list. First movie being on there being Creep Show. The second movie falls at Halloween. Four? Three. 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 Okay, so the more Halloween-y themed one because it is Halloween themed. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm good with that. Mr. Mike, you got any suggestions? There's a very limited list. There is. But. Movies that happen during Halloween that are Halloween flavored. Yeah. Michael Myers. Right. And Origin. You have to go with Rob Zombie's origin. Ooh. So House of Thousand Corpses? No. <laughs> okay. Halloween. Halloween. The first one. Oh. Yeah, but don't two Halloween's on the same list. 
I mean, it is, it is still technically well, I don't a think thing. House of a Thousand Corpses happened. Actually, it does. It it does. does. I forgot all about that until you mm-hmm. said that, but yeah. The first one does. Well, that's beyond, not, that not the be... Thousand Maniacs, but the House of a Thousand, thousand Corpses. That does. would be it, then. I didn't realize that. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, it, it happens during Halloween. He's talking about doing a Devil's Rejects follow-up. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, we might, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses was a... It is a bloody mess. It is. It's it's so okay. It's unsettling. That's very true. Okay, <laughs> I, I I can give you that one. That's a I little think more. That's a good one. It's a pretty bloody gutty movie, and it is Halloween flavor, and it is a horror movie. So yeah, okay. Might have destroyed Comic Con in general in San Diego, but whatever. <laughs> Hollywood's right up the street. They would got there eventually. Congratulations, Rob Zombie. Yeah, he's uh, quite the artist too. Yeah, mm-hmm. something in there. All right. Okay, so then as far as like a top five list, so far we're what? That's 3M? Three M. Three. So we got Creep Show, Halloween Three, House of Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. So now like this one's not scary, but it is definitely Halloween themed. We got the Great Pumpkin Charlie Round, which is a Halloween movie. And it's all it's Halloween, true. but it's, it's not, not a Halloween horror movie until you've seen Great Pumpkin Charlie. That's true. So I'm, I'm saying that's a winner in there, even though it's not it's a horror movie. I think that's a good choice, but I don't know if it classifies as a movie because it's it's more of a Halloween special on TV. Still movie. I think it's the most sincere movie of all the ones that we've chosen. That's true. I like it then. (laughs) Length, beginning. I mean, you can't like I like to say Ghostbusters is on Hayden episode, but that's it's an episode of the cartoon series and it's fantastic. For those of us that remember the old Ghostbusters, <laughs> Sam Hain. I'll get you, Ghostbusters. Right? <laughs> I mean, he even got a return at one point. But yeah, as far as, like, an episode, it's a show rather than a special. And even though it's special, technically it's a movie. It's true. Written, written by uh, J. Michael Straczynski, too. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's crazy. There's your comic book. Hey, too. man. Oh, so, I that's just two thought of it. another one. Oh, yeah? What's that? The Crow. Oh, yeah. James O'Barr. The Crow Crow does take place during Halloween. uh, Hell Night, or whatever you called it. That's right. It's a comic book. Fire it up. Fire it up. That's a good one. Fire it up. I think our top five list is going to mutate into top six list. It might. (laughs) It very well might. The Crow is a good one. And it's also comic book flavored. So remember how that idea of comic book flavored Halloween movies that happen on Halloween? Not as far as you think. (laughs) Except for, I think we're going to name the three that exist. (laughs) Well, I think that was pretty much it. <laughs> Although the Straczynski connection was not aware of, so that's really good. Yeah, that's cool. I, I do, I do dig that. Um, you got another one there, Ross? Yeah, well, our number one obviously has to be Trick or Treat. <laughs> the yeah. most Halloween trick Halloween movie. Our treat or Trick or Treat? Well, Trick or Treat. Okay, movie. okay, <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. Figure. Yeah. So Trick or Treat had some horrible acting by Ozzy Osbourne. It's true. <laughs> they very well did. Oh, Although I don't it know. is King of Rock. Oh, Sammy Kerr, that was his name. Sammy Kerr, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes it the most metal of the choices. It's true. Oh, Gene Simmons. True. Gene Simmons in it, too. Gene, Ozzy. Wait, do we have Do we have any uh, Kiss Saves Halloween or anything? I don't think that that's no. really Okay, so, so there is a Scooby-Doo direct-to-DVD movie where he yes. teams up with Kiss. That's oh, true. And it takes place on Halloween, but there's absolutely nothing Halloween-related in the movie other than them saying once, we're going to do this on Halloween. 
Oh, that's so. because Ace Freely's guitar scares away all the rest of Halloween. Yeah, that makes sense and now. Everyone knows that Halloween is scared by the screech of a guitar. Bad pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah. Very, very true. Okay, so the top five list of Halloween flavored movies that happen at Halloween. And we, we start with Creep Show, follow that up with the Halloween 3. Then we move on to House of a Thousand Corpses, it gets super brutal. Right. And then we dial it back so that way you can recover with. Either some Ghostbusters or Brown. Great Pumpkin. I'm going to say Great Pumpkin simply because it's it's more movie-esque. The episode of Halloween or the Ghostbusters is awesome, though, so I'd say mm. it, it definitely runs a, a sixth-place ranking. Right. <laughs> or if you don't want to watch a cartoon, then The Crow. Oh, The Crow, too. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Okay, so hang on. So in there, I got confused for a second. So Creep Show, Halloween 3, House Thousand Corpses, and... Okay, so if you don't want a cartoon, you go with The Crow. If you do want a cartoon and some heart, then it's just Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Then the last one would be Trick or Treat. <laughs> Which we didn't talk about at all and talked about all the other options. Well, yeah. other than <laughs> I mean, what, what is there to say? It's, so, you yeah. know, tell us a little bit about Trick or Treat. So, so, so Trick or Treat takes place on Halloween. It it's one Halloween night. Four? Is it four or five? Five stories. Five stories, all connected through Sam who is a little pumpkin-headed kid that wears a mat, wears like a... Potato sack. Yeah, potato bag over mm-hmm. his head. Um, yeah, and all the stories are really cool Halloween-related stories. So, zombie kids coming back, uh, serial killer principal. Right. Um, and then crazy clan of werewolf ladies. Yep. Right. Yeah. Awesome. And then, of course, you have one story at the end that's Sam versus old Mr. Krieg. Mr. Krieg is basically the Scrooge of Halloween. So, which is awesome. He gets his comeuppance too. Yeah, it's cool because it's uh, kind of an anthology movie. Yep. But you get a whole movie out of it too because mm-hmm. all the plots are, you know. Yeah, the way they interweave and connect together, like it's it's the way it starts. We start like at the end and then move through it sort of backwards. But yeah, they all connect. By the time we get to the end of it, you're like, oh, this is where we started. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as like horror story stuff, it's got your werewolves. It's technically got your vampires. It's got your zombies. Yeah. It's got your witches. Yep. So one, but nevertheless, little demon creatures. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, and murder. So it's perfect. Awesome, and it, it feels like Halloween the whole time. Like you're watching it, and you're like, I wish this is what my town looks like on Halloween. <laughs> so it is good. pretty decorated. Yeah, it's pretty decorated. Well, lots of pumpkins everywhere. Lots of their whole street fair thing. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. We talked about it being like tied into comic books a little bit. Right. So the opening credits, they play the opening credits as if it was a comic book. And the first time I saw it, I thought maybe it was a comic that they adapted into a movie. Um, the opening credits are actually like concept art and storyboard art all put together to look like a comic book. Um, and as far as tying into comics in general, they made an adaption of the movie into a comic later which is pretty good. And then they also did a second set of stories uh, set in the trick-or-treat universe uh, two years ago. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and that one's really cool. Worth checking out, too. Right. Definitely worth a nod. Yeah, the festival they had was kind of like a Halloween-themed Mardi Gras. Pretty much, yeah. Freaking awesome. Heck, yeah. That would be awesome. I don't know where this town is set, but it's pretty dead. (laughs) Right? Pretty awesome. Well, a couple, like, other... Halloween theme that, that don't fit the Halloween genre, just to throw them out there as things. 
and then we'll go on to like Halloween horror movies. Or movies are good for Halloween because they're horror movies of scariness, not the other kind of horror movie. I show you shaking your finger, Ross. You know what I mean. So, E.T. happens during Halloween. Granted, it's not entirely during Halloween, but nevertheless, they have Yoda meet E.T. on the street because the kids were in the Halloween costume of Yoda. So, like, it, it's got a Halloween theme in the middle of it. Uh, Spaced Invaders, if you remember what that is. <laughs> because it happens during oh, Halloween. Give me a home. Right? <laughs> Where's the bu- Buffalo? Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. They, so, do you remember that whole song? No freaking way. Barely. Man. That's reaching back. <laughs> so, Space Invaders, Ross, anything? I've never seen it. Never? Mike? Maybe a very long time ago. Okay, so Space Invaders is about a batch of aliens that crash on Earth, Martian style, little green men, and during their escapades on Earth, trying to figure out how to get off Earth, it's Halloween, so everyone assumes that they're Halloween costumes. Nice. How awesome they are because they're dressed up as great Halloween costumes. Right. It's got like a Teenage Ninja Turtle vibe to it, simply because they're like green alien guys. And, and they do the invasion of the world's uh, yep. hoax. And War of the World's hoax. And the culminating part is the mighty farmzoid. <laughs> it's, it's old and funny. I don't know if it holds up because I haven't seen it in a very long time. But the only real reason the world didn't freak out initially is because they were all thinking their Halloween costumes were just awesome Halloween costumes. <laughs> which in my head is hilarious. Uh, see, another one like Tr- Trick or Treat, which is the other metal one we referenced a second ago. It's a Halloween horror movie about a rock god coming back from hell to kill people. Not great. I did watch it a couple days ago. <laughs> it, it's not bad, but it, uh, I mean, there's pieces there. It's dated. Because all, all the technology in it is very specific for what's happening, and they're relying on tapes and well, records are fine because records are coming back. But if you're going to play something backwards, the records are classically to do it. So, anyhow, I would say it's worth a mention. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I run out and watch it right away. And then Changeling, the 1980s Changeling, which is not the same as the uh, Julia Roberts. No, not Julia Roberts. What's the lady who was married to uh, Brad Pitt for a minute? Angelina Jolie. How'd that get me and no one else understand what I'm talking about? Anyway, there was a movie with her recently about her son being replaced by another son. This Changeling movie, the initial one, was about a haunted house. And it was done uh, back in 1980. about Kim Bassinger? No. Oh. The newer one, then the new new one had... I just said her name. Angelina Jolie. And it's about her son being stolen and replaced with a different son. And Granted, there's been some time between A and B, and the police just try to make her believe it's her son, even though she doesn't. It's got a conspiracy weirdness. Hmm. Whereas the original one was about a haunted house. And it's got Seymour, uh, Seymour Scott? Seymour, shoot, Seymour Scott? I think that's the guy's name. Anyway, it's a, it's a pretty good one. The cover, the, I've never seen it in the video store back in the day. And the cover is like this creepy old wooden wheelchair covered in cobwebs. Initially, we find that in the attic in the movie, and it is terrifying. But again, now I was a small child when I saw it, so now I probably <laughs> just think it was a cool cover. <laughs> so that one I wouldn't run out and chase down either, but Seymour Scott, that's who it is. Seymour Scott is actor. Awesome actor. Anyway. Um, okay, so that's enough nonsense about that. Crap. I have a couple more. To you got a couple more? Ross, got a couple fire more. away. Yeah. I've got a couple more. They're like more like kid-related ones, but okay. 
So Monster House, the, oh, yeah. the CGI animated movie that from a couple years ago, too. takes place on Halloween right. about the lady possessing the house. That, yep. Yep. That dies in it. Mm-hmm. Now, is there is there enough to do two top five lists and one is kid themed and one is not? Oh, I probably have almost five on my own. <laughs> Go ahead, Ross. Okay, so you got Monster House, right? Right. Um, I would have put in the first Adams Family movie. Actually, maybe even both the Adams Family movies, the sure. 90s ones. Um, well, they both have in Halloween, so technically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both kind of spooky. Well, they're creepy. I mean, stuff. yeah, it's yeah. family. And they're ooky. Mysterious. <laughs> and spooky. <laughs> um, of course, you have all the stuff they show on the 13 Nights of Halloween stuff on TV, so like Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas. And they're not necessarily my favorite movies ever, but they definitely do take Hocus place on Halloween. awesome. Right. Is don't forget Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. The Monster Squad, oh, it's, it's, it doesn't have a Halloween. Oh, it does. Does it really? By the end of it, it does. It might as well. I want to say that the, the night they're supposed to know it's not. It doesn't have a Halloween. Yeah. Because the night they're dealing with is like a Friday the 13th kind of night. It's not Halloween night. It should. This very day, right. 100 years this ago. <laughs> but it was not Halloween, unfortunately. Mm. Go on with your list, Ross. I, th- I think that's my case. list. I think that's, that's it that's so far. It? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. I think there's five in there, right? Yeah. Well, we've got Monster House. We throw Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown in there and we get Crow in the other way. So Charlie Brown goes in that list. I say that goes number one. Charlie Brown. So Charlie Brown number one. Monster House number two. Mm-hmm. Then Focus, Focus. Focus, Focus. Probably, probably Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas is a good one, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And then, uh... Yeah, it's another kid one. Well, I said the Adams Family. The oh, that's Adam's right. Family Adams movies. Family movies. Mm-hmm. That's right. I don't know how I'm going to remember about this one. This an Adam's Family movie. It, yeah, being at the back end, one or two, but I'm not sure that. Just for a certain so. Oh, yeah, that's a good list. Yeah. That's a good list. So it shows up the other, the other, the other list and put the crow in there. So instead of Charlie Brown right after House of Thousand Cricket Corpses. I don't know. I like that. I like that. You like the dynamic? Playing those it's one after another, though. It is. Well, at the same time, it brings you down just to get to the end. It's a good, it's a good time. When I remember when I was a kid, I'd try to watch series stuff like that. And I'd watch something that was like horrifying me as a kid, and then I'd have to follow it up with something like that just right. to get myself to be okay again. Like, like, a, like a palate cleanser? Yeah. <laughs> Good start. Okay. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Civil defense machinery has been organized to provide rescue stations with food, shelter, medical treatment, and protection by armed National Guardsmen. Stay tuned to the broadcasting stations in your local area for this list of rescue stations. This list will be repeated throughout our news coverage. Look for the name of the rescue station nearest you and make your way to that location as soon as possible. I apologize, everyone, for our technical difficulties. We'll go ahead and run that uh, interview with John Cassiers. Uh, thanks for listening, guys.
ใจ Then you meet me. You're so welcome. So we start with questions, or do you? Um, yeah, sure. All right. Um, I told these guys that I'm only going to ask questions about about Shem and the three students. Oh, excellent! I'm not ask any other <laughs> that's that's one near and dear to my heart. I was just talking about that last night because we shot in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson produced that, right? Right. Yeah. And and not only that, it's like that uh, parts of Sydney and the coastline there. It looks like uh, you know a Malibu in L.A. back in the day. In fact, I was talking with um, uh, uh, Kent McCord, and he was talking about how he had been in Australia. He said he couldn't believe how much it looked like, you know, that part of L.A. back in the day, and, you know, the, the beach areas and the small little areas that were cropping up, you know, outside the city there. But uh, they even had old vaudeville house where we could shoot our vaudeville stuff. But we, we shot that, uh, literally flew the day after the millennium kicked off in, in uh, Sydney. That's January, February, March for them is their summer, so it was, you know, great to be in Sydney Harbor. You know, literally, I looked out my uh, ho- my apartment building, you know, uh, that they gave me. It was an awesome apartment. Just there's the opera house, you know, had a lot of time off on, you know, the QE2s parked out in the harbor, you know, part of the time, you know, you know, and, the, and that kind of thing. So that was kind of fun. But uh, what a great opportunity to play a character you know, that I grew up with. And I, I, I mean, as kids, we always loved Curly because he was so childlike, but Shemp was always the one that made me laugh the most. He was always just kind of, he went to such odd places. He was such a strange, neurotic guy. I got, I, we had access to uh, family members and that kind of thing, which was kind of cool. You know, obviously, Michael Chiklis was very good at, at you know, as, as playing Curly, and, and Evan did a great job, and so did Paul. So we were the only actors they brought over from the U.S., and had a great group of Australian and, and New Zealand actors playing the other parts. And uh, we just had a great time bringing those characters to life about halfway through shooting. ABC liked the footage so much they were talking about releasing it as a feature film. And uh, I think, uh, um, you know, uh, Mel and the other producers were uh, leery of that because normally if you're going to produce a feature film, they want to be able to market it with, you know, some stars or some history or something. And uh, so they were afraid that it would, you know, be released and not the amount of people that would see it that that they expected to see it as a TV movie, which, um, you know, that's kind of gone to the wayside a lot, except on Lifetime and those kind of channels. They're, you know, I used to love those money, you know, like certain movies, especially some of the biopics. But that was based on a book that was the only authorized biography of the, of the uh, Three Stooges at the time. I don't know if there's more now, but... So it was great to have that as our uh, as our template. I don't know if you know um, William Frawley, oh, not William Frawley, not from Lucy, uh, uh, Jim Frawley, who was our director. James Frawley, uh, you know, directed the Muppet movie and a bunch of other interesting stuff. He had started out as a Broadway actor back in the day. So he had a real sense of the performer side of these uh, uh, characters as well as the uh, intimate you know, personalities of the characters, so it was a lot of fun. I originally auditioned for Curly, you know, if people have seen pictures of me, I mean, not Curly, I'm sorry, Sh- uh, Larry, I'm losing my brain, it's, it's early for me. <laughs> I had all that curly hair, you know, and they, they, they go, oh, you'd make a great Larry, you know, I could, I could, I could whine with the best of them. So, uh, you know, I came in and they were like, you know, we got, we got a couple of good choices for Larry and we, we can't find our champ and we just think that you'd be great. 
would you, you know, do a little thing for us? So I, you know, got a, you know, a stringy wig and, you know, I, I, it wasn't a very good one. So I put on a cap, you know, with the hair hanging down and I came in with, with my best shemp. And I came in and I, uh, you know, brought some, uh, brought the humanity that I thought that the character would have. Did a little research, found out he was kind of a neurotic guy. He was afraid to sleep in hotels because he hated bed bugs. He was afraid of the animals. So we'd have them put up like sheets of glass. They didn't have plexiglass back then, so they put glass between him and the animals because he was, you know, you couldn't see it on camera, but it, you know, made him more comfortable. And, you know, he was an interesting guy. But uh, it was funny because all the, all the uh, the women on the set were like, oh, you know, Shemp's kind of like the sexy stooge. <laughs> I was like, never really thought of him that way. I guess I didn't have the pockmarked face for it, but, you know, but uh, I was like, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> you had some great, uh, I, I love the dichotomy of you in the boxing scene. Mm. And you have that, the whole scene where the comedy, and then right afterwards, the tomato ketchup line. Where right. You, get, you know, you can see that. Just a little piece, yeah, just a little piece of his not really wanting to be there and, and the years of being smacked around by Ted Healy and, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know that Shemp was, you know, he and Mo were the original Stooges prior to, to, to the Stooges that we know because those Stooges, you know, are what we saw on television, which were, which of course were originally two reelers. You know, they had always hoped to break into the, you know, main features the way that Abbott and Costello were. And, uh, uh, you know, the Stooges agent was like friends with Harry Cohn. So he was like working over at 20th Century as well. So they were kind of like, he's like, no, you know, we'll be the blue plate special. You know, he would be even the front of our bad movies. That way everybody will come at least see the Stooges and stay for the bad movie, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they were by any stretch of the imagination poor or, you know, although. Lowry did have a reputation for spending all his money at the track, you know, women and that kind of thing. I don't think he ever owned a home. But, you know, Mo and Champ and, uh, you know, I mean, they, 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 you know, put their families together and they had, you know, their families and that kind of thing, but they never really felt like they had that opportunity. Of course, once the, uh, the you know, they didn't have residuals back then, so once the, the, sh the movies went to television, they didn't see a dime of it. Uh, I think they sold, like, the whole library to... Uh, CBS or one of the new TV stations for like 20, 12 million dollars, which was a huge amount of money back then. And they didn't see a dime of it, but it, it launched, uh, you know, a second career for them being able to go out on the road and perform live for people in their hometowns, which is kind of the way that music is done these days. It's like, you, you know, because everybody lifts music and, and, you know, the way that music is available to everybody, they don't make so much money on, on their recordings anymore. So it's just a setup for them to charge a lot of money to go, you know, tour and do uh, music. So conventions have kind of become that for us, too. You know, um, some of the older shows, some of the, you know, stuff like Tales from the Crypt, which, you know, wind up on Sci-Fi Network and these kind of things, they don't have a lot of, you know, residual base to them uh, because the licensing fees aren't that high. But... Um, you know, it's fun to be able to come and see the fans face-to-face. -face. People are like, well, you don't spend a lot of time on social media. I go, no, I go see the fans. You know, I go spend time with them. I perform for them. I have fun, you know. To me, you know, I come from the theater, and I come from doing stand-up. So t to me, that's the way to do it. I really enjoy doing that, yeah. You have a lot of detail in around the three stages. Do you, pr do you approach every project you do like that? Or do, you, do you really get into the research? Um, you know, I love the research part of it. Of course, you know, back in the day, you used to have to go to the library or something. Now, of course, I can, you know, Siri, 
<laughs> you know, yeah. how tall was Shem? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, things have changed dramatically. And I, I love that about, I mean, I use the computer more for that kind of thing than anything else, you know, finding out about different people. I mean, you don't always get to play historical characters. And as you get older, they expect you to put more of your own habits and your own kind of personality into your own camera roles just because you are more of a character actor. When I was a younger actor, um, I found myself playing all kinds of wacky characters, but I probably didn't really know myself as well. So I didn't know how to plug as much of myself, or I didn't believe that I was interesting enough. You know, it's like, oh, I'll make the guy honk, and I'll make the guy skip when he walks. You know what I mean? I'll do that kind of stuff, because that's what I grew up with. <laughs> you know, watching the Three Stooges, you know. Obviously, guys like the Coen brothers watched the Three Stooges and had a really good time, too. Ask you about yeah. your, your, your process when it comes to your voice acting. What is your personal problem? It's you know it changes it changes up because sometimes you're you know you not only get a script sometimes you don't get a script even you know when I went in an audition to play Miko the raccoon they're like come on in John I was like well I haven't seen the copy they go there's no copy it was a huge room full of storyboards so we just went around the room bringing to life the little storyboards of me and I grow and I live in an area where it's, there's a bunch of raccoons and stuff so I'm like okay here's a raccoon uh, fighting. <laughs> I hear them fucking, you know, I'm doing like the whole thing, you know, and they're laughing and I'm like, I've either offended the shit out of them and I'm not, you know, I think that they had given me the job and I didn't know about it for like six months, you know, and my agents, there's nobody told me that I got the part. And they called, they go, well, you're going to start doing the sessions for, for Pocahontas. I was like, what? I got it? They go, yeah, you had it, got it like months ago. I was like, nobody told me, <laughs> you know, so that was kind of fun and obviously, you know, I was just bringing life experience to that, but sometimes you have very specific scripts, you have very specific, you know, you get to see what it looks like. Like for the Crypt Keeper, when I auditioned for the Crypt Keeper, it was at Kevin Yeager's studio, and he was working on the puppet. So the texture and everything that I brought to that character was partially based on what I saw and partially based on the fact that I grew up with the comic books. And I think some of the other actors had no idea what they were auditioning for. You know, they're looking at it going... Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. They go, this is terrible. I was like, no, no, no. This is Shakespeare to this guy. He loves it, you know. You know, ultimately, when you're doing the comic edge of stuff, you know, you're bringing your own comedy to it. I mean, the Keeper definitely has, you know, my comic timing to it, and that's what, what I brought to it. But the physical aspects of it are what I had to bring to the character. Um, the beauty of playing voiceover stuff is that I get to, I'm not typed out by my age, my race, my physical sense, or, or even whether I'm human or not, obviously. You know, doing uh, Pete's Dragon and playing Elliot was, uh, was not easy, but they, they thought of me when I came in just because they knew that I do, did that kind of thing. Each one has to be approached differently, but it's a lot of fun. I get to use skill set that I don't get to use on camera. Of course, the on-camera stuff, I get to use a skill set that I don't get to use off-camera, which is my physicality and my ability to do that kind of thing. But it's a real pleasure because of that. So each one is a whole different thing. I'll get a dozen things to audition for during the week, and you're guessing. The one good thing about these days auditioning is, is that you, you get things sent to your home and you record them at home. The one bad thing is you don't have their input right there. You know, to go, you know, um, this is going to feel more live action, even though it's funny. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I went in to do Rick and Morty to play Blim Blam, and these guys were really specific about they wanted, what they wanted. Obviously, they make fun of movies and stuff like that, so they had it really concretely in their mind. And then sometimes it's just you're bringing to it what's not on the page. 
And that's that's what I like to think my specialty is, is bringing to, to something what's not on the page. Do you have a specific medium that you prefer, whether you're doing the video games or doing the animation? Or as far as voiceover? Yeah. Um, well, the animated films are a lot of fun because a lot of times you're in a room with a bunch of people and we're all like picking different voices to do, like, you know, working for Illumination. We do a lot of additional voices, which is a lot of fun. And people step up and do their version of it, then I step up and do my version of it. Ultimately, doing a cartoon series like Cat Dog or something, you have a room full of some of the best voice talent, and we're just cracking each other up the entire time. And that's just a good time, you know? Yeah. It's a good time. You kind of freaked out. Kevin Yeager originally, didn't you? When you saw it, you did a laugh, and you, you thought, oh, man. No, he was, like, going like this. <laughs> like, I didn't know whether he was, like, you know, like he wasn't getting the sound because he was doing it on a boom box or something, but he was, like, loving it. And so he start, he was, like, laughing, but not laughing out loud. And I started laughing, and I was like, oh, it's great. The guy laughs at his own jokes. This is great. You know I mean? The keeper laughs at his own jokes. And I just built it from there, and it happened in the room the next day he had be doing it for Joel Silver and Dick Donner in their office, which are two of the biggest movie producers ever. And I was just like, hi, guys, you know, and I did it for them, and they are like, okay, we'll see you on the set. It was that easy. Sometimes it works that way. Thank you guys very much. These were great questions. I appreciate it. Do you have a favorite character that you played as far as voice or live action? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, playing Chimp in the Three Stooges was an awesome one, the Crypt Keeper. Um, you know, the ones that, that st stand out are the ones that I had a great time doing. I love playing Ralph and Reefer Madness. I mean, that was, that was just more fun than I could ever say. You know, we, I got to do that from a small theater in LA to off Broadway where we opened five days after September 11th, which was not a good experience, but it was a bonding experience for all of us. And then getting to do the movie as well with a great cast. You know, we had, three months up in Vancouver, you know, shooting and partying and having a good time, you know, it was really, really fun. You don't get to do that stuff much. I mean, st I've, I've done a lot of stage roles that I, you know, that a lot of pe most people have never got to see because they were on stage and you only got to do them live. Uh, three Guys Naked from the Waist Down was the show that launched my career. I played a stand-up comic uh, with Scott Bakula and a guy named Jerry Colker who wrote the piece. And I played a very dark, suicidal comedian that wound up launching my career because Star Search saw me doing the show. And they said, we'd like you to, you know, be on Star Search in the first season of Star Search. I'm like, as what? A singer? And they're like, no, as a stand-up comic. I said, well, I'm not really a stand-up comic. And they're like, well, you can win $100,000. I'm like, fuck it. Have you heard, <laughs> you heard about my stand-up uh, that I'm doing? And, you know, and I, I, yeah, beat Rosie O'Donnell in the semifinals. It's about, but I kept winning, so I kept having to come up with new stuff. You know, so I would do like the Wizard of Oz in two minutes and this kind of stuff. And this is what really started people knowing that I did voices. So it really kind of launched my voiceover career in a way. So I have to say that's that that may be like the premier part that I got to play. You know, it's the thing that took me from off off Broadway and street performing to mainstream television and stand up comedy and launching me from a you know starving theater actor to living in a normal house. <laughs> you did, didn't you do some improv with Robin Williams? I did. Uh, you know, when I used to work at the improv, any time Robin could just like, would just come in and jump up on stage and, hey, I'm going up, you want to come up? You know, and I was like, he never invited me before, but, you know, but he was kind of cutting in where my spot was, you know, and Rick Overton, who some of you guys might know is a brilliant comedian, he's like, come on, Johnny, let's go up, you know, and so we went up and, uh, the first night that I went up on stage with him. And, and he cut into my act when he was street performing in front of the Metropolitan Museum years before, although he wouldn't have 
have known me at, at all then. You know, I was in whiteface. I used to street perform for a Metropolitan Museum in New York. But I got up on stage, and you have to pretty much had to go in, you know, Robin's vapor. You had to continue in whatever, wherever he was going. But we were, you know, Rick and I were, you know, used to keeping our own, had a good time. Then all of a sudden, the Charles Flesher jumped on stage, you know, and he started playing the harmonica. He really wasn't like it. And then Bruce Willis jumped up on stage. And um, it wasn't his thing, really. He kind of went, <laughs> kind of sucked the air out of it. I didn't say that. Yes, I did. But, um, no, he was great. He, he was a lot of fun to play. But uh, Robin was, uh, you know. He's just um, he was, you know, somebody who was so well read and so intelligent, and so he could bring all that. You were always afraid to do your act. I mean, my act was very different than other comedians' acts, but I was afraid to do it in front of Robin because he was probably the only guy who could steal it, you know. <laughs> but I don't think he ever tried to steal it. I think he just grabbed from wherever it was, you know. We all respected him a lot. He was, he was you know, the first time I saw Robin Williams on TV, I was like. That guy just took my career. Because <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd imagine myself being that guy that's just like, you know, the new the new vaudevillian, you know. And uh but it was guys like Robin and, and guys like Bill Irwin and people like that that opened the door for me at that time to do the kind of comedy that I love doing. So, you know, I, I had a lot of gratitude towards those guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for bearing with us. Uh, thank John again for the interview. Uh, Mr. Kassir's fantastic fella. That was an interview done over at the uh, Colorado Springs Comic Con 2017. Good show. Um, awesome guy. Uh, I want to apologize to everyone else. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to wrap the episode since the uh, one of our microphones has decided to die and the static is just too much for me to try to fix uh, on the back end of the audio uh, at this point. There's not anything to be done about it. So, you, uh, Unfortunately, we have our last list, which... You know, hey, make your own list. There's a lot of Halloween movies. They're fun. Anyway, um, so yeah, that'll be the end of the Halloween special. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, you know. And have a happy Halloween. Be safe out there, people. All right. Take care.